Hello, future indoor college graduate. Before you spend the next four years learning in the halls of the greatest magical school this side of the Planar Divide, we have a few legal matters to discuss first. Warning. This episode of the Dub Talk podcast is actually safe for all audiences. If your kids are curious about English dubs, by all means, let them listen. That said, this episode does contain spoilers of the entire film of Mary and the Witch's Flower. If you have any interest in watching the film before checking the episode out, I would strongly recommend doing that. And as always, the opinions expressed are those of the individual participants and do not necessarily reflect Dub Talk as a whole. With that out of the way, have a great four years, and enjoy the show. Now, if you'll excuse me, I'll be drinking adult beverages while chanting Toga with a bunch of random strangers. Bye. Hello, one and all, and welcome to another episode of Dub Talk, Summer at the Movies, where a bunch of nerds get together, have a nice little weekend trip to the theater. Today, we're talking about a really, really special film, and kind of a unique one, even in terms of general episodes we've done in the past. This one is sort of from an offshoot of Studio Ghibli, in fact. From Studio Ponok, we have Mary and the Witch's Flower. Joining me today is good friend Alak. You're a wizard, Mary. <laughs> yeah, the, like, Ghibli dub, kind of. Because it's, like, kind of Ghibli. Yeah, I mean, that's... I mean, once we get into the actors, it it's basically dubbed like the way Ghibli movies are dubbed. Yeah, they're, like, they did not skimp on this. No. Which... I actually, I don't know who the studio is yet, so I'm actually uh, interested to... Let me, I actually have uh, ANN up right now, just to double check everything. Or I think uh, I did see it, but I don't remember who it was. It's, um, it's a London-based studio called right. uh, Tambourine Sound Studios. Right, okay. Mainly because, like, all of the localization for this movie was done in the UK. Right. Well, I think it's a British book, so yeah, it's pretty appropriate. Like, I a mean, British company picked it up for, like, worldwide, and right. then, like, G-Kids grabbed it from them. It's so. it's not like, yeah, it's not like Disney got it again, or Miramax, or something. So. Yeah. You guys probably want to know what this film is about, don't you? So, this is a plot description, courtesy of ANN. It is Tib the black cat who leads Mary to the strange flower in the woods. When she discovers a little broomstick shortly afterwards, she is astonished to feel it jump into action. Before she can gather her wits, it is whisking her away to the treetops, above the clouds, and into the grounds of Endor College, where all examinations coach for by a competent staff of fully qualified witches. Uh, this movie is based on a book, The Little Broomstick by Mary Stewart. And 30 years later, J.K. Rowling kind of ripped it off. Anyway. <laughs> Pretty much. Yeah. Only slightly. Only slightly. I don't want us getting I mean, sued. <laughs> yeah. Like, what was your first experience with, like, a Studio Ghibli dub? I think it was Princess Mononoke. Nice. It, it was either Princess Mononoke or the Castle of Cagliostro. Okay. Oh, that wasn't, that wasn't Ghibli. That's right. 
That was just it, a... It's Miyazaki. Yeah. Uh, all counted on a technicality. Yeah. Mine was probably either Spirited Away or The Cat Returns. Right. Oh, you know what? It might have been Spirited Away. I think I saw Spirited Away before I saw Princess Mononoke. So... Like, my first experience was basically that Toonami Marathon. Hmm. With, um, like, Spirited Away, Princess Mononoke, I think Howl's Moving Castle, and I want to say Nausicaa. I've never seen Howl's, but my I've seen Kiki's Delivery Service, and my personal favorite, My Neighbor Totoro. So. Uh, and my personal favorite would be uh, Porco Rosso. Porco Rosso's good. I like it. It's, it's a fun little old school kind of, like, adventure. So. Hmm. Oh, God, and I've seen uh, Lapida, too. I just realized that, so... <laughs> yeah, Castle in the Sky, that... Like, I... I, I Mark think Hamill's the, in that one, too. Yes, Mark Hamill. Uh, I think the only one I've yet to see, as far as I know, at least to the originals, uh, is... is uh, Nausicaa. Okay. I have yet to see Nausicaa. I own Nausicaa, but I haven't watched it yet. <laughs> yeah, I need to get around to picking up the uh, the Ghibli Blu-rays, especially now that they've been uh, reissued by G-Kids. Right. Does Disney not own them anymore? Apparently not. Huh. That's actually interesting. I didn't know that. Like, um, like G-Kids basically bought the catalog. So that's why they bought 20th Century Fox. No. Uh. <laughs> Alright, so um, are we ready to get on with ADR stuff? Absolutely. Alright, so we have more or less two directors and two scriptwriters here. Uh, in terms of directors, we have a man by the name of Giles New. You would pr might know him as the director of Ronia the Robber's Daughter, which is like a co-production of Studio Ghibli and like Polygon Pictures. Huh. And the second director is a man by the name of Toby Davies, who really I couldn't find any ADR credits for. Well, I mean, let's be honest, they don't get to do this much, so... <laughs> yeah, I... There, there may have been, like, a cartoon role or two. Uh, you know, the yeah, the, the UK doesn't really dub as much as they used to, so... Yeah. Like, there, there is an interesting um, actress we'll be getting to here in a little bit. Right, who's right. Who's done, like, a little other anime work. Um, in terms of the script, we have two people credited for adaptation... It is David and Linda Friedman. David had script writing credits for Only Yesterday, Romeo the Robber's Daughter, and When Marnie Was There. And uh, Linda Friedman, I could not find any like script writing credits toward anime. So When Linda Was There was Ghibli, though, right? Yeah, When Marnie Was There was Ghibli. Oh, it, sorry, just yeah. wasn't, um, yeah. <laughs> it just wasn't either of the Miyazakis or... Um, Iseo Takahata. Right, 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 right. Uh, but in any case, um, Lack, what did you feel about the direction and script writing? Um, it was very excellent, I felt. Um, everybody sounded very natural. Uh, I liked that it didn't really feel like Harry Potter, which was nice, because it, yeah. it could be very easily done that way, and it wasn't, especially because we have some actors from Harry Potter in it. It, it is... It's it's cool the way that they did it because it, for one thing, we'll get to this actress later, but she's playing completely against type, and I think you know exactly what I mean. Yeah. 
Yeah, and, and that's one of, I think, the highlights of this is the fact that, in spite of the fact that, you know, we're, the, some of the actors are playing against type, everything feels very natural in this. And not to mention the direction of the of the children actors, even though they're, they're kind of teenagers now from what I saw, like, their acting was very good in this dub as well. And there's no harder thing to get across in an anime dub than child actors, which is yeah. why it's not usually done. Um, but, uh, the, the dialogue was, was very snappy. I thought it was, uh, really strong. The, the direction of the acting was really great, but they had a lot of good cast members, which I think, uh, helped a lot. Is there anything that stood out for me, necessarily? I, well, I think the opening scene, honestly, before even all the magic and stuff starts, I think, uh, the acting, uh, Mrs. Banks, uh, the, the maid... You know, or the housekeeper, yeah. I guess. Uh, I thought her, the the great aunt, I, I thought they their acting was superb in the first couple scenes, especially when they're talking to each other and there's nobody else in the room. When it starts to get a little bit sillier, though, in the story, it's 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 still good. The acting is still strong, and it it it, it stays consistent throughout the entire production. So, yeah. Okay. Yeah, I largely have to agree, especially toward. Like, child actors in general, like, especially with animation and voice acting, like, I can imagine it's a little bit difficult to ask, like, even, like, a 13-year-old, 14-year-old, hey, um, this character kind of went through a lot, and you need to convey, like, they're happy, but they're also kind of in pain. Like, without the kind of life experiences that you'd associate with that kind of stuff, it it's, it's hard to... Yeah, and it's like, oh, and by the way, you have to follow the mouth movements of these characters. Yeah, so. and the, like, dubbing also kind of adds an element to this, which... Dubbing's uh, not I'm easy sorry. for an adult. Like, how you know, it's got to be hard for a child even more. Yeah, so. and not to mention, like... Two of the actors we are going to be talking about today, they are Academy Award winners. Like, they, they have the acting chops, but they may not know ADR, they may not know dubbing, they may not know... Like, it, it's... Like, Ghibli dubs are really interesting in that way, because you can tell exactly which Hollywood actors know their stuff in an ADR booth and which ones don't. Right. But yeah, no, the, well, this is something I've actually... I, I like to think of it this way, and and this is just this is not meant to insult either side. I just can there there's for the actors we have in this, they're camera actors, not mic actors. Right. So you know, and I, that's how I differentiate you know voice actors from from you know more Hollywood style actors without insulting either side. I I call voice actors you know mic actors, and I call you know movie actors like camera actors. Being an expert in either doesn't discredit the other. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, if you're a camera actor and you want to voice act, feel free. You know, it's all acting. So. Yeah. It's just a different skill set. Exactly. Yeah. You know. Well, and the funny thing is, most everybody comes from theater. Right. So most everybody has the same training. They just take different routes. You know. Yeah. And I I do think that definitely needs to be said that. Like, voice actors listen to dub talk, and I 
I was kind of nervous picking a movie like this because I didn't want to seem insulting to those who actually voice act as a profession. Right. Especially, especially dub voice actors. Exactly, yeah. Because on, uh, unfortunately, dub there there is a there is a stigma for for dub voice actors, and it's sad because they they pour their hearts out into every production that they possibly can, you know, and they and they get very little recognition for it. Yeah, so. and, and that's that's also kind of why we do dub talk to begin exactly, with. Exactly, so. yeah. But yeah, that that is a very important distinction that needs to be made. Um, that said. Like, script writing for Ghibli movies is probably among the most polished of, of dub scripts. Sans Warriors of the Wind. <laughs> <laughs> Sans Warrior. Like, once Ghibli actually started yeah. getting involved in the no localization process. Send him the, like, send him the katana. No cuts. How baller is that, by the way? That was pretty, that's pretty cool. That's a fun story about Princess Mononoke. Like, so. Hayao Miyazaki sent a katana to the Weinsteins when they acquired uh, Princess Mononoke with with a simple note that said, no cuts. No cuts. But yeah, no, it's it's cool. And, uh... I, yeah, I mean, I think the cast that we have in this movie is really good. Like, it's a really strong selection of actors here. So... Yeah, it's just kind of a shame the movie's kind of, eh... I, well, but, it's it's very simple, you know, and you got you got to think. We live in a post Harry Potter world, so yeah. when when we see stories like this, we kind of expect more now. So that's yeah. that's fair. Like there, this was written are, in the seventies. I mean, you know, yeah. There's some issues with some characters that are more the movie and not the actor that I'll be getting into as we get into them but um uh in any case are you ready to move on for to our first uh our first little group sure yeah uh so starting off um we kind of started to go into them in the uh in the previous section but um we have uh mary's great aunt charlotte right who's, who's kind of a gentle grandmotherly figure who kind of harbors a little bit of a secret that you find out about toward the end of the movie and um, her housekeeper made, and I I think she also like takes care of uh, of Charlotte, basically nursing. But uh, Mrs. Banks, Great Aunt Charlotte, has uh, two voice actresses attached to her. So Charlotte is played by two actresses. Um, her present self is played by a woman by the name of uh, Linda Barron. Uh, I couldn't actually find, like, notable roles for her that, like, Americans would probably get. Holy crap, she was on Open All Hours? That's okay, awesome. Well, maybe, maybe there are. Um, I mean, I, I'm not, like, a religious viewer of Open All Hours, but that's still pretty cool. Yeah. So. Uh, she's been in a lot of, like, BBC and I, I think some ITV stuff, too. EastEnders, you know. Only, only from 2006 to... 16, that's interesting. Uh, and her younger self is played by uh, Teresa Gallagher, who played um, Ronia and Ronia the Robber's daughter. She was Arashi Kishu in X the Movie, uh, Sayaka Rama in Demon City Shinjuku, 
And here's a little bit of a surprise that kind of took me off guard when I first saw it. She is Nicole Watterson in Gumball. Yeah, I just I just saw that. She uh, the, She's actually American-born, but she lives in London. Okay. And uh, Mrs. Banks is played by uh, Morwena Banks. Uh, she's another one of those actresses where I found a whole bunch of, like, BBC ITV stuff that I didn't really recognize. But um, she played Lovis in Rodeo the Robber's Daughter. And she's also uh, Mummy Pig in Peppa Pig. Uh, so, Lack, why don't you start us off? How did you feel about uh, Great Aunt Charlotte and Mrs. Banks? Um, both excellent. Um, they weren't in the movie a whole lot, but I still found them very memorable because I think uh, Orwina Banks and uh, Linda Barron brought a lot of personality to these two characters, even though they were not necessarily big in the story. I mean, Charlotte is, but her part of the story is kind of adjacent to her presence. Yeah. So, you know, we, we don't see her that much, but at the same time, like I'm saying, Miss Banks and Great Aunt Charlotte, they had a lot of presence in the scenes that they were in because they're being played by two women who are fairly experienced actors from what I can tell. I mean, if, if Linda Barron was on open all hours, I mean, she's got plenty of experience in acting and, uh, Miranda Banks, uh, you know, I guess Peppa Pig. It's <laughs> very, it's Peppa Pig. Uh, I don't know what to say to that, but <laughs> either way, um, they were excellent, both of them. I, I, I'm just, I was really impressed of the scenes that they had and the acting they they performed. I, I, I sometimes am curious. I mean, this this applies to a lot of the actors in this, but it, it makes me wonder because you've got you've got an actress like Linda Barron who's probably been in front of the camera and on stage her entire life like i don't know how many if she has any voice acting credits prior to this um but, i can take a look while you're while you're well, talking well even if she doesn't the, i guess the point i'm trying to make is like it, it's it's interesting to think about for having a, a particular like set way that you act and then doing something entirely new. Yeah. You know, it's it's just interesting to me. Like, you know, with, with anime dubbing become more of a prominent thing, you've got all these actors who probably never really did anything like that. And, and now they're taking all the experience they have in a certain other way of acting and bringing it to this. And I, I guess I just find that interesting. Yeah. You know, I mean, I mean, you've got... The recognizability that this is, you know, this this is a play off of, uh, of Studio Ghibli. You know, a lot of people do recognize Studio Ghibli movies, even people who haven't seen them. But at the same time, I, I, I just, I guess I find that aspect of it interesting. I'd, I'd like to know what their experience is doing something like this for the first time after so many years of acting. Yeah. Like, I, I get the feeling it's kind of a culture shock at first that yeah. you slowly adjust to. I mean, ADR is nothing new. It's, it's like, like, especially in, like, the, er, like, the 70s and stuff like that. ADR was done all the time. So that part of it, I can imagine, is nothing too strange. You yeah. Know? But I guess the point I'm trying to get at with this is the fact that it, it's remarkable how natural they both sounded in their roles. And, and I, I think, 
that's really a testament to how great of actors they are. And I, I think it's also just... Uh, and I think it's... It, it really... It really carries the film in a lot of ways of how... Of how great, like, the cast is for this. So, and yeah. I think... I think Morena Banks and I think Linda Barron are two great examples of that because, again, they're not even in the film that much, but they have such a presence because of their experience and how much talent they're bringing to this. I think that that is really, really great. So, yeah. Yeah. All right. Um, I, I have to agree with you on basically all the points you've made. Uh, Linda Barron gives a very warm openness to uh to great aunt charlotte and uh like the quick scenes Teresa gallagher gets as her younger self basically telling mary about everything that's happened and why all of this stuff is important her like trying to get her out of what's going on keep her safe like it was it was spectacular and um Morwenna Banks gave Mrs. Banks a lot of personality, and unfortunately, due to the due to the way I'm sure that both of us saw uh, Mary and the Witch's Flower for the episode, um, I don't think we got to see the Japanese version to compare the two. Because um, when we get to the end of the episode, that that'll make sense. But it, it's. Really kind of an interesting thing, because they, they don't show up a lot, and they have... Great Aunt Charlotte, in particular, has a lot of purpose in the film, and yeah. it's... Like, I am actually kind of curious to look back at what Linda Barron's done, and, like, see what brought her to this point. Something else cool that I just noticed is some of the actors have such an age difference compared to their, uh... Compared to the the Seiyus of this, yeah, uh, Linda Barron is actually seventy nine, and uh, Shinobu Otake is actually um, only sixty one. So wow. that's something really interesting to think about. Yeah, but um, I I think these two were spectacular. I kind of wish that there was a little bit more there, especially to to flesh out the twist with Great Aunt Charlotte. Right, but. Like, it, it's the first outing of a major animation studio. Like, mm-hmm. it, it's going to take a little bit of time for them to get the get the story beats down. Yeah, I mean, not everybody even likes, you know, Nausicaa. So, there yeah. you go. Uh, so, moving on, we have two other members of uh, Mary's little village. The groundskeeper for Great Aunt Charlotte's, uh, her home, uh... His name is Zebedee. Zebedee, Zebedee. Yeah. <laughs> it's implied that, uh, like, a little boy uh, named Peter is, like, somehow related to him or something. Like, it's never really made clear, but he he hangs around Zebedee a lot, and uh, he ends up becoming kind of a focal point of the movie toward the end. Right. Uh, so, Zebedee is played by... Uh, Rasmus Hardiker, who had a couple of major roles in Ronia the Rubber's Daughter, and he's also Scott Tracy in the new Thunderbirds Are Go cartoon on uh, Amazon. Dun dun dun. Anyway. <laughs> and, uh, 
And uh, Peter is played by uh, Louis Ashbourne Circus, who, like, you would probably know him as uh, the uh, the young Mad Hatter, young Johnny Depp in um, Alice Through the Looking Glass. And he also played against Tom Hardy in uh, the FX BBC co-production Taboo as, uh, as Robert. I guess he was on Endeavor, too. That's pretty cool. And uh, just as a little aside, um, he is also the uh, the son of Andy Serkis. Oh, okay. I was going to ask if he's related to him. Yeah. He's a good little actor, actually. He takes after his dad. I, I saw the name and I'm just like, is he? And I, I pulled up IMDb while I'm researching the uh, the credits and down there in trivia, son of Andy Serkis. So, <laughs> like, that's really cool. Yeah, that's pretty cool. Uh, so what did you think of the, the other characters who populate the village? It, it's funny, looking at, um, looking at Remus Hardiker and, uh, there was somebody else too. They got, like, a lot, a, a few of these actors, yeah, okay, it, it's, uh, Teresa Gallagher. They got a couple actors from Thomas and Friends. That's just really interesting, I <laughs> yeah. just know. Um... Uh, Zebedee, again, he's not really in the story that much, so it, it it's hard to get a good idea, like, uh, of him in the story, but I, I do think he was, he had a strong performance. I don't necessarily think it was as memorable as, like, Mrs. Banks and, and uh, and, and, uh, um, Charlotte, necessarily, but I, I do think for the role that he needed to fill, he was absolutely fine. Um, I mean, Zebedee's not really a very talkative fellow. In the yeah. story, so it, it's it's hard it's hard to really look at uh, at Remus Hardiker's like or Rasmus I think it's Rasmus R A S M U S <laughs> yeah Rasmus Rasmus okay sorry Rasmus Hard it's hard to look at Rasmus Hardiker's um performance necessarily because of the fact that he just doesn't really have that much to do but in in what he does in the story it's it's absolutely good like it doesn't hinge the the dub at all. I've, it, it it absolutely fits in the context of the way these actors are presented, what they're playing, and all that sort of thing. Uh, for Lewis Ashbourne's Circus, uh, he did a really good job, in my opinion. Yeah. Uh, like, like I said before, he takes after his dad because you know he and his his dad's a great actor too. So. Yeah, no, um, Peter wasn't in necessarily, I mean, he, Peter didn't really come into play until near the final act of the story, but I felt like, um, absolutely Lewis played him extremely well, like, his voice fit the character, I thought, um, even though Peter looked like Link. Yeah. I've actually seen, like, Tumblr posts of people, like, editing, uh, Peter to look like Link, it's actually kind of cool. Um. Oh, you'll have to show me when we're done. Yeah. Um, but yeah, no, he really knocked it out of the park with Peter. He he brought a lot of emotion, a lot of strength to the character. I mean, Peter is kind of the... He kind of is like the, the... The dude in distress kind of character. Yeah. In a weird sort of way. Um, but at the same time, it's like he had plenty of personality. The, he, he and uh, Peter and Mary Smith's, like, interactions were adorable. And they had a lot of great chemistry together. And you really got the feeling like they they really felt natural to one another and i think that that was great and i think that was a, a testament to how lewis played it 
I don't really have that much else to say, necessarily. Uh, when you look at the type of characters that, you know, they, they remind you of, you look at Laputa, you know, Castle in the Sky, the, the, Peter and Mary's relationship is kind of familiar in that sense of, yeah. of the protagonists of uh, Castle in the Sky. You know, when you look at it that way, it's like, this This really does fit in that, like, set of, of like, type of protagonists that we are familiar with through through Ghibli films. No, he, bo both get a thumbs up from me. Okay. Um, so Zebedee and uh, Ram Rasmus Hardiker. God, I, I was about to say Ramses for some reason. I hope Ram I didn't say that earlier. If Ramesses. I did, I'm sorry. But um, Rasmus Hardiker as um, Zebedee, like you said, Zebedee doesn't really get a lot to do. But he he gets the point across that, you know, he he's cantankerous, he's a little grumpy at times, doesn't like kids. But he's also kind of central to what ends up happening later on with the uh, with the titular Witch's Flower. Because he's kind of the person who tells Mary, yeah, that's a, that's a fly-by-night. That uh, they're associated with witches. They bloom every seven years. So that ends up being the important thing that he does. And then he's also kind of worried about Peter when he goes missing. Um, as for Louis Sashborn Circus as Peter, like, I, I really liked it. It, like we said earlier, like, child actors, especially in anime dubs, are kind of tricky. Because um, you're asking a lot of them. Yeah. <laughs> like, you not only have to ask them to kind of understand what their character is going through when they might not have similar life experiences, but that also has to fit into, like, lip flap, lip flap, lip flap, pause, clench teeth, lip flap, lip flap. <laughs> but, um... Yeah, I, I thought he really nailed it. Um, like, it's kind of something I appreciate that he's, like, the son of Andy Serkis. Like, somebody really well-known for, like, the most, the current, like, most revolutionary kind of animation yeah. available to Hollywood. The, the, the Jim Henson of our time, as I like to yeah. consider him. And I, I think Andy Serkis has also gone back and done, like, a couple voices for cartoons, but... Yeah, I want to say he's probably dubbed in something, but I can't remember what it was, so... But it, it's really cool that, like, somebody associated with the most revolutionary form of animation currently available yeah. is also able to come back around and, like, not only not only come back and do traditional animation, but, like, not even prelay. It's basically, you have to fill somebody else's shoes. Yeah. And that, like, that's probably one of the hardest things you can do as an actor. So, like, good on the both of you. Mm-hmm. Alright, so moving on, uh, we kind of have the, the last character pairing that we're going to be doing for this episode. Um, once we get to Endor College, avoiding <laughs> avoiding lawsuits from both the Roland, <laughs> from both J.K. or uh, the, the Wizarding School lawsuit from J.K. Rowling and, like, Lucasfilm, because it's Endor. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and whoever wrote The Worst Witch. 
<laughs> and whoever wrote the worst witch. The broom instructor, who's like a cat man. <laughs> with like a really sassy attitude, and it's really great. Yeah. Flanagan. <laughs> His name is Flanagan, and he's played by a name a man by the name of Ewan Bremer. Um, he has played uh, Charlie and Wonder Woman. Yes. But, but you would probably... He'd probably be best known as um, as Spud from Train Spotting and its sequel. Also, we have in this in this group uh, Doctor D. He's sort of like a magical researcher who looks like he's been through like a lot because he's he's got like half of his skull gone and replaced with machinery. He's got like a mechanical hand. He's in, like, a mechanical walker through the entire movie. And he's kind of not the best guy. No, he's really not. Uh, he he was... He used to be a good guy, though. But um, when the when the fly-by-night was first discovered, it kind of changed him and made him start to research not very pleasant things with magic. Spoilers for Voltron, Legendary Defender. But in any case, um, Dr. D is played by Jim Broadbent. Merlin's beard! Uh, you would know him probably as Professor Slughorn in the 6th and both of the both of the movies for Book 7 of Harry Potter. Yeah, Half-Blood Prince onward. So, yeah. Uh, he was Harold Zidler in Moulin Rouge. And he is actually an Academy Award winner for Best Supporting Actor as John Bailey in the movie Iris. I think that was the 2009 Academy Award. Hmm. Lack, what did you think of our first two magical instructors? Uh, well, thankfully I love both these actors, actually. Uh, I really loved Ewan Brenmer uh, as, uh, as Charlie in uh, Wonder Woman, actually. I thought he was mm. one of the better characters in it. Um, and I love Jim Broadbent. I thought he was great as Slughorn in Harry Potter. But uh, regarding here, both of them stand out extremely well. Which It's funny because out of everyone in the cast, I think they're the most recognizable. And, well, Sans one we're going to talk about in a minute. But but with uh, her, her particular performance, it's not as easy to tell that it's her. And with, uh, yeah. with, with Dr. T and Flanagan... You can kind of hear their voices in this performance. Yeah. Like, with Jim Broadbent, you can tell that Dr. D is played by Jim Broadbent. Like, it is, it is insanely obvious that it's him. With Ewan Bremner, it's a little harder to tell, because I guess he's not as recognizable an actor, unless, you know, you're a big Train Spotting fan, I guess. Yeah. But at the same time, when you hear Flanagan, you're like, oh yeah, no, I, I can hear him in there. So... With that said, they were both great. They were both so much fun. They brought a lot of personality to the performances. I I guess it's kind of... I'd like to know if in the original book, Flanagan is supposed to be Scottish. I, w I would find that interesting to find out. And I mean, his name sort of implies that. Right, but I mean, you know, this is anime dubbing we're talking right. about. So they could pretty much give him any accent they wanted. I mean, freaking Jojo has a character named, you know, <laughs> Jean-Pierre Polnareff, and he sounds like an American. Yeah. So, 
Which I know was a choice that they made, but that's kind of my point. But regarding Dr. D and Flanagan, they were excellent. And the fact that they had such distinctive voices, I think, was actually a big help to the story. Or, or at least a big help to, the, like, the production itself in the way of, like, you know, you, you have these two voices that stand out. When you hear these voices, you remember them. You know, and yeah. it, it helps that they're recognizable. It helps that people tend to know Jim Broadbent and, and Ewan Bremner. And, you know, that's fine. You know, there's nothing wrong with having a recognizable voice here and there. You know, I mean, it's anime dubbing. We're going to have recognizable voices. Right. So, I mean, it doesn't really it doesn't really change just because they're camera actors dubbing. You know, it's it's yeah. just how it is. But at the same time. Something I love in anime dubbing, and I constantly bring this up, I love distinctive voices in, in anime dubbing. So when I hear distinctive voices, it really connects with me because I'm like, oh good, we have personality, we have voices with personality that connect to characters with personality. And that's great. I love that. Yeah. Um, but yeah, that, that's pretty much my whole point. Um, you know, Dr. D, you know, Jim Broadbent, he was fun as the you know, as the bad guy. Spoilers. Um, and, you know, Flanagan was a fun little side character who was kind of helping out the, the, you know, the main character was helping out Mary. And, yeah, they, they, they stood out and they did their jobs really well. So, yeah. Kind of going off what you were saying, um, I really did like Ewan Bremner as, as Flanagan. Like, his voice just has his personality to it. He was, he was fun in Wonder Woman. Like, hearing him sing and stuff like that, that was a ton of fun. I need to finish Wonder Woman. I, I have it on my shelf, but I just need to get back to it. Yeah. But, Isn't it um, weird we're talking about actors like this? <laughs> yeah, I know. It, like, this, this is really crazy, especially when we get to our next actor. Yeah, so. like, this is this is a rare treat. I wouldn't want to do this, like, every week. Obviously, but. yeah, no. I mean, the whole point is to recognize people who don't necessarily get recognition all the time. Right. So, yeah. But um, I, I really like that he gave Flanagan a really nice sense of sass. Yeah, exactly. Like, he he not only put Mary in her place for uh, improper broom etiquette, but, <laughs> like, at the end of the movie, when he, he basically turns on the bad guys, because, like, he felt like it, and... He really liked the fact that Mary took very good care of the broom up until the end. It, it's just this nice little sense of sass and sarcasm, and like coupled with the with the Scottish accent, it yeah. just breathes a sense of life into Flanagan. Exactly. Yep. And God, what can I say about Jim Broadbent as Doctor D? His voice is perfect for voice acting and i know he's done some in the past but i it's really nice to see him like not just doing doing voice acting from time to time but actually like in an anime dub with as this as a sort of old almost going senile but also kind of cantankerous like don't bug me i'm i'm researching the stuff type like shirt absolutely stuffy yeah like he, he was just pitch perfect and i cannot like part of the reason 
I don't necessarily want to go back to the Japanese is because uh, Jim Broadbent, uh, Ewan Bremner, and one of the people we will be talking about here in a second, like, they just fit seamlessly into this. Mm -hmm. And it helps that this is an English language property. Right. So. It's, it's not only an English language property, it's set more or less in Britain. Yeah. And, like, set in Britain, and then there's, like, magical world in the sky that's basically, like, kind of Britain. Mm-hmm. But, um, I, I just have to commend that these two were kind of given an extra sense of charisma from the dub. Right. And it's really... Oh, they're so good. So good. So, are we ready to move on to probably the biggest name in this movie? Absolutely. Yep. Uh, so, we have Madame Mumblechuck. Uh, she's basically... You are, the... You're right. That is the biggest name in this movie. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. I'll be here all week. Try the veal. Uh, so, Madame Mumblechuck uh, is basically the headmistress of Endor College. Uh, <laughs> that, that's she... never made clear. <laughs> there's, like, there's like muscle men posing. It's weird. It, it, yeah. yeah. It, it's hard to think that this is a college when you're basically introduced to, like, three members of the staff. Yeah. Like, it's kind of a... It's like when Deadpool went to the X-Men mansion. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's it's also kind of a comp one of the complaints I have with the movie, but I'll get to that in final thought. Uh, she kind of got... She kind of went down a dark path when... Like Dr. D, when the fly-by-night was discovered and they realized, oh, this has, like, a ton of magical power. And we could use this to make, like, the perfect magical being. And so they try to make the perfect magical being and it all goes wrong. Twice. Like, done way in the past flashbacks, and then, again, with Peter. From what I understood from the plot, it was basically, she means well, but... Right, I mean, it... It would have been nice if we had seen a little bit more of their motivation. Yeah. Because I, I feel like... It, it, now that you mention it, it does feel like a chunk of the book was taken out. Probably. Yeah, this easily could have had another 15-20 minutes of exposition. Yeah. And it, it probably would not have affected, like, the overall film much. Like, right. As long as it wasn't, like, info-dumpy, it probably would have would have been something that helped. Right. Uh, but in any case, um, Madame Mumblechook is played by Kate Winslet. You would know Kate Winslet as... Uh, you just stop right there. <laughs> basically, yeah. But um, mm. you would recognize her as Rose in Titanic, uh, Clementine Krasinski in Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind, uh, Joanna Hoffman in Steve Jobs, and Hannah Schmitz in The Reader. All four of those roles are kind of important for me to mention, because other than The Reader... She was nominated for Academy Awards for all of them. Wow, And that's she true. won it for the reader. And there are three more roles beyond that where she was nominated for an Academy Award that I didn't mention. That's basically something that needs to be said here. She is a seven-time Academy Award nominee, and she won it. 
She was married. She was married to Sam Mendes. I didn't know that. So, Lack, what did you feel about uh, Madame Mumblechuck? Well, I I love Kate Winslet. I think she's a great actress. So, you know, hearing her in anything is a ton of fun. Um, but I think the best part about this is I had a really hard time telling that was Kate Winslet. Honestly. Yeah. <laughs> like, she threw herself into that role completely. And just... She, she made herself just disappear into this crazy, you know... <laughs> crazy witch lady who's just out to like get what she wants done and not think about anybody else has she ever played a villain prior to this probably i would definitely not be surprised yeah i'm just trying to think of any time she's played a villain in like a movie or something like that um but i really don't know any instance of kate winslet playing a villain so having her get to play the the main villain spoilers <laughs> the yeah, main villain I mean, yeah it's, it's dub talk but <laughs> uh having her play the uh main villain in the story is really interesting and the fact that kate winslet is so willing to disguise her voice for the role is also really cool like it, it just it, it really like showcases how great of an actress she actually is and like i just loved how like eccentric she played the character too like, almost to the point of where you're like, yeah, I know she's the villain, but she doesn't really seem all that harmful. Because <laughs> she just seems a little just off-kilter more than anything else. Yeah. And, and I think that's a great element to the whole thing. Because you could easily play Madame Mumblechook to be this terrifying figure, but it would feel so out of place in this type of movie that pl having her be a, a goofy, like, you know, uh, you know, Team Rocket type is part of the fun yeah you know, it's it's meant to be not so threatening and she plays it extremely well and it's it's really fun to watch and it's it's really like when i when i read that it was kate winslet i was like oh that's cool and then i heard her talk and i was like that's kate winslet really yeah so yeah i mean you know kate's a great actress and this is this, of all things, is a great testament to how great of an actress she is. So, yeah. Yeah, so, like, Kate Winslet as Madame Mumblechuck, she reminded me a lot of Yubaba from Spirited Away. Yes! Yes, thank you. Mini Driver. Yep. That was... She's just so charismatic at first. Mini Driver when... and her crazy laugh. <laughs> like, when she's basically trying to, uh, she thinks, oh, Mary, you're just so talented at magic, blah, blah, blah. But let me show you this college. And then she mentions the fly-by-night, and then, like, it just, it flips to this sort of sly deviance. And the, the best part of Kate Winslet's performance is... She never plays her as completely heartless evil. Like, she does some really bad things. Yeah. But it is never... Like, it is... It never completely seems like it's out of a sense of malice. To put, to put it in perspective, it's basically... It, it's like the opposite of Chuck Huber as, in Full Metal Alchemist. When he, <laughs> when he played... Uh, when he, you know, when he played yeah, Dr. Uh, Tucker. Yeah, yeah. Or Show, show Tucker. I'm show sorry. Tucker, yeah, exactly. 
couldn't think of the name. Yeah. Because they basically do the same thing, but you're not as threatened by <laughs> by the, the teacher in this one. So. Yeah. And that's actually a really good comparison to make, because... Um... When you watch both the original and Brotherhood of Full Metal Alchemist, like you start to hear the sense of cruelty in Chuck Eber's voice. Mm -hmm. You get immediately that, oh, he is up to no good. But um, when the same happens with Mary and the Witch's Flower and uh, Madame Mumblechuck, like you know, if you've seen any of the trailers and you like and like posters key art whatever you can kind of tell that madame mumblechuck's gonna be the bad guy oh yeah hang on i do know an instance of when she's been a villain oh yeah yeah the divergent series oh jeez. <laughs> oh boy Ooh. i thought she Yeesh. was in some young adult novel series but i couldn't remember which one but um like, you don't really get the sense when she's first introduced that she's really up to anything, like, sketchy until she's trying to get the information of where she found the fly-by-night out of Mary. And it's and even then, it's not like she's interrogating Mary for the, the location of this flower. Like, it's just, hey, you wouldn't happen to know where you found that, would you? And Mary starts to get the sense that something's up. And that's about the time that the audience should be as well. Her performance was just flawless. I This is like a really long roundabout way of saying that the really good actress was really good in this part. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Like, all, all of this, all this fluff and it's just like, yeah. Kate Winslet is a really good actress, and she played this role really well. Mm-hmm. So, props on you, Kate Winslet, and, like, hopefully Studio Ponoc does some more stuff that's sort of pseudo-England, and, like, they can, they get, like, the big-name British actors and actresses, and she can come back and do another, another dub, because she's really good at it. I watched this with my girlfriend, and I was saying something that I'd really like to see is them do a more Princess Mononoke-type movie. Ooh, I think that would be pretty yeah. cool. I'd like to see what they could do with a more serious, mature, adventure-type story. Like, so. supposedly their next movie is coming out, I think, sometime later this year, and it's basically a series of vignettes. Oh, okay. Okay. And it, it looks really good. I hope, like, G-Kids picks it up and... Like, it, it looks really nice. It's, like, three completely separate stories about family. Right. But, uh, yeah. Kate Winslet. Two thumbs up. Like, you don't really need me to be saying this, but keep up the good work. Yep. Alright, so last up, we have the, uh, titular Mary. She basically moves to this small village in the UK, and while she's waiting for her parents, hey, she... She's led by a group of cats to this flower. And this flower happens to give whoever has it, like, extreme magical power. It makes more sense when you watch the movie. <laughs> yeah. And she gets whisked away then to her college from a, from a broomstick she randomly finds. And the, the whole movie's set into motion. Uh, so, Mary is played by Ruby Barnhill. Uh, she really hasn't been in, like, much at all. 
I think her only credit before Mary and the Witch's Flower was the BFG as Sophie. Yeah, she she was a Spielberg find. Yeah. Yeah. Which, she made that movie, by the way. Like... Yeah, I mean, I haven't watched much of it, but um, I, I did like what I saw of the BFG, although Mark Rylance is an amazing actor. So, I mean, he, he was heartbreakingly good in, uh, in Dunkirk. Yeah. So. Yeah. I, I need to get around to Dunkirk. It's... It's good. It's just not... <laughs> it's it's the Christopher Nolan definition of good. Yeah. yeah. Which you, you, basically, get, you get what you pay for. Basically. Yeah. Film buffs are gonna rave about it, but in general, it's, it's okay. Just uh, don't expect to understand what's going on all the time. So... But, um... Yeah, that's that's basically it in terms of stuff I I saw that she was in that people who are listening would probably recognize. Yeah. Uh, so, Lack, what did you think of Mary? Absolutely fantastic. I thought she did a wonderful job from the very moment I heard her speak her first line. I was like, that is a great voice. It is gentle. It is it is welcoming, and it sounds like a child, which is great. I I mean they. And I know that she's a really good... Again, she's a Spielberg find, so... You know, he, he picks the best. He finds the best, you know? Yeah. And it's... It's it's really cool, and... I guess her next role that she's doing actually is another voice acting uh, role. Good! Yeah, so that's actually pretty cool. That she seems to actually resonate towards, towards voice acting, it seems like. Um... But yeah, no, she did a fantastic job. She really did carry the film in a lot of ways. She has a lot of charisma behind the mic. Um, she she has a very pleasant personality that's very welcoming to, to anyone uh, who like is watching the movie. She, she, I mean, she just acted great in the film. Like she played it exactly the way it needed to be played. Uh, anything that stood out for me uh, regarding her performance. She just really... She felt real. I think yeah. that, that, that's that's the b- biggest compliment I can really, like, give. And it's it's a it's a genuine one. She felt real in the performance. And when you've got such a high fantasy concept like this one, having a performance that feels real is extremely impressive. Especially because you've got these actors who are doing a great job, mind you, but they're also playing kind of goofy characters... So, to have a, a performance that feels really grounded and real, especially in the main character of the story, it's really interesting. And it, it really is effective uh, against, you know, you've got, you've got the, the grounded against the fantastical. And it's a good contrast, and it feels very well balanced. Uh, Definitely. And, and Ruby's performance, um, she just gives it her all. She really just... She makes you believe that Mary is is a real girl, like it, and a real person, and not just a character. It, it's funny too because if this was live action, she could easily play the character as well. That's what's really funny about all this. Um, yeah. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. This was another example of something I wanted to talk about. Uh, yeah, uh, Hana Sukisaki, who plays um. Who plays Mary in the Japanese? She's twenty. Wow. And, okay. And Ruby Barnhill was born in two thousand four, which makes her yeah, what fourteen? So, 
Yeah, she probably would have been, like, 12, 13 years old when yeah. recording Mary and the Witch's Flower. Exactly. Yeah, and to be fair, Hannah probably was, like, 18 when yeah. she recorded, so I guess that makes sense. But, at the same time, when you think about, like, the discrepancy in ages there, it's really impressive. Yeah. And, and it just goes to show how experienced of an actor she already is. So, that that's a really cool aspect to it, and... She really was, like, the, the the main... She was, like, the centerpiece of all this stuff, and she carried that role extremely well. So, yeah. I guess that's kind of my full thought for it. Okay. Uh, so, as for my thoughts, um, she definitely kind of had to play the straight man to everything fantastical that was going on in Endor College. Like, she had to, like react to every every little like wondrous thing going on and i thought she did a really really great job doing that and like you said even before all the magical stuff gets involved in her life um like she sounds like a girl in her early teens like like the the vocalizing her thoughts in the beginning of the movie at at first, that kind of annoyed me, but, like, that is def that is most definitely how a child thinks. Yeah, exactly. And how a child processes their thoughts. Like, they, they will vocalize just about everything. That was a great aspect of it. And then, like, toward the end of the movie, where she really has to get into those emotional arcs. Like, she really got those down, and I, I'm i glad you specifically pointed out that she was a Spielberg find. He tends to pick out of the box when he when he's looking for child actors for yeah. major roles in his movies. Drew like, Barrymore. Drew Barrymore. Uh, oh, God, who played Elliot? Uh, uh, I uh, don't remember, actually. Yeah, that's... <laughs> I don't like E.T., so. <laughs> yeah, that's that's fair. And, uh, ri um, uh, River Phoenix, he's another good example. Yeah, okay, yeah. yeah, River Phoenix, but like Steven Spielberg is able to find child actors who are who are really good at their craft and who have like infinite potential to grow. Yeah. So I. I have to say, I really liked Ruby Barnhill's performance, and I am really glad to hear that she is looking to pursue a further career in voice acting, because yeah. as Mary and the Witch's Flower has shown, she has a knack for it. I guess if you want to look outside the box, even though it's a Robert Zemeckis movie, the Goonies are a good example of, uh, of Spielberg finds. Yeah. So, although Sean Astin, his father, was in the industry, but yeah, you get my point. Yeah. So. Ruby Barnhill was great. Um, it was... I mean, for what the movie gave her, it was... It was, like, a spectacular performance. And, um, yeah. She had... Like, not to mention, she also had to act against people who have won Academy Awards. And, like, people who have had, like decades more experience in acting than her exactly yeah and that's like that sounds like it's it's crazy it's intimidating and again like, freaking jim broadbent is in this dub yeah so, yeah 
Prince? Like, like some of the most charismatic British actors yeah. that are still around are in this movie, and she she did what she had to do flawlessly. So, yeah. kudos, thumbs up, you did good. <laughs> you did good, Lassie. <laughs> so, are you ready for final thoughts? Absolutely. Um, all around, I think it was a very strong dub to a fun, likable movie. I, I I think everybody fit their roles extremely well. I would actually say this is better than some of the Ghibli dubs I've heard in some cases. Yeah, like especially kind of around the time that Disney started to get the rights and they yeah. were starting to figure out how to get it to work. I like the Princess Mononoke dub, but I think it could have been done a little better. Yeah. Um, but at the same time, yeah. I think Mary of the Witch's Flower had a fantastic A-plus dub. And Absolutely. I think everybody was cast perfectly. Um, do I think it could have been done great with, you know, regular, like, you know, uh, more veteran anime dubbing voice actors? Absolutely. But I think the camera actors that they found for this one were perfect for their roles. Um, I, I just... Everybody brought their A-game to this, even the child actors, and when even the child actors bring their A-game, it really creates something unique and special. Stranger Things. Um, <laughs> yeah. Uh, and it's... And it's so great... First of all, it's so great to see so many good child actors lately. Yeah. Can I, can I just say how great that is? Because for so long, it was so hard to find good child actors, and we're at a point now where it's actually almost becoming the norm. Mm -hmm. And it, it's great. And it's great that we're finding techniques to be able to teach children how to be good actors. Yeah. Uh, and it, it all just, it works very well. Um, every, you know, Kate Winslet, Jim Broadbent, all of them really were great to listen to. And it was fun to pick out some of the actors that you recognize. It was fun to, to hear them in a fun little anime movie. You know? Yeah. It's a rare treat that, that you don't get very often. And you don't want it all the time, but at the same time, it's fun when it happens. Because it's something different. Yeah. And we have something different here that was excellently done. And that's great. So, yeah, it's it's a, it's a fantastic dub. So, yeah. Okay. So, as for my final thoughts, um, I, I largely agree with you, um... It is absolutely wonderful to see, like, child actors doing very well, not just voice acting, but in, like, probably one of the hardest forms of voice acting out there, which is, you know, dubbing a foreign language property. Yeah. Like, it was great seeing them not just act very well amongst themselves, but also against some very heavy hitters in the, uh... And basically the film industry in general. And and like Lack said, could could Mary and the Witch's Flower have been a great dub under like NYAV Post or Funimation or Sentai Filmworks? Absolutely. But uh, it's just kind of great to get like veteran screen actors out of their element and hear them being able to being able to perform really well under what may be new circumstances for some of them. Yeah, and thinking about how old some of these actors are, 
that's that's really interesting to to like think about. Yeah. Like, you know, uh, Jason Isaacs dubbed was in a few anime dubs actually. Yeah, Lu- Lucius like Malfoy. I, yeah, I think he was in like Arietti. I well, no, I mean before his career really took off, he was in. Oh, uh, I see. Okay, he, he was in uh, Heroic Legend of Arisland, the OVA, which wow, is awesome, okay. and it's a great dub, and people need to appreciate it more. Yeah, but, I really hope that gets like license rescued soon. Yeah, well, I know that 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 um. Central Park Media took over the dub, which, uh, but, you know. <laughs> yeah, it is what it is. Yeah. It's it's a really great treat to get these, like, every once in a while. And I'm, I'm glad that G-Kids, as a company, doesn't typically resort to these as their, as their primary kind of dub. Like, I'm, I'm glad they also, like, work a lot with NY80 posts and do, like, traditional anime dubs. Right. But, like, to get these every once in a while is is really a nice experience. And I... The shortcomings of the movie aside, like, it could use another, like, 20 minutes of exposition right. here and there. Like, fill out... Because, like, in particular, I think... Peter as a character suffered the most from it. Right. He's, yeah, he's he's a what well, I guess a, a dude in distress. As I yeah, he so. he shows up, he disappears, and then he gets like huge moments of character development that just come out of nowhere. But yeah. um, for what the actors got, they gave really great performances. And judging the dub, I would definitely give this a very strong A. This is a refinement from even a lot of the Ghibli dubs of the past. And, like, I would very, very strongly recommend checking this out when you get the opportunity. Next to My Neighbor Totoro, I would say it's it's on yeah. par with My Neighbor Totoro's dub. With, like, Tim Daly and the and the Fanning Sisters. So. Yeah, like the, the, new, the newer Disney dub of Totoro, I'm assuming. Yeah. Okay. Not that I love Streamline. Don't get me wrong. Yeah. I they were a great company, and they didn't deserve the, the, you know, the garbage that they got. But, you know. It is what it is. Yeah. Uh, but in any case, if you are interested in checking out Mary and the Witch's Flower, it is available on Blu-ray and DVD through G-Kids in North America, uh, Madman in Australia, and I'm not exactly sure who has it in the UK. I think it's Studio Canal. That makes sense. <laughs> and kind of in an interesting twist, in, other than like Ponyo and Tales of the Earth Sea way back when, it is one of the first of the sort of Ghibli Ponok dubs that actually is streaming right now. And you can find that on Netflix. Yep, that's where I watched it. <laughs> um, it was, it's definitely North America. I'm not sure about the UK and Australia. Like, I'm, I'm not exactly sure of the territory distribution. I definitely know for sure that North America is one of them. And um, if you want to see what we're all up to here at Dub Talk, uh, you can find us on Twitter at Dub Talk Podcast. Uh, we also have a Twitter and Tumblr account of the same name. Uh, I, I'm not sure exactly what we're doing with those right now. 
I, I'm assuming you are watching this on our official channel, but in the event you are not, um, we are at youtube.com slash dubtalk. So if you like what you've heard here, why don't you head on down and hit that subscribe button and, you know, maybe ring the bell. It, like, it helps you and it helps us. Smash that like button. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> Um, so, Lack, where might we find you on the internet? You can pretty much find me at Lack the Watcher on Twitter. That's usually where I link all my stuff. Uh, I swear I'm going to get back to anime reviews. It's been a little hectic for me lately, but I, I really am going to try to do it. Uh, I'm not, unfortunately, not going to quite finish uh, Gonagai, like the retrospective of Gonagai, like I had hoped to. Um, it just, it got a little, it got a little too, like, out of schedule for me to be able to do it but i am going to come back with uh, more stuff and more anime and uh i'm trying to get back into voice acting so yeah nice yep and um you can find me on twitter.com at roots of justice where i mainly just kind of retweet like anime news stuff and cute animal pics um i'm hoping to have my blog back up and running like i i really want to have it by doing something by the end of the summer and hey um so this is probably the last week we can really talk about this before it starts up um a lot of our members are going to anime fest in dallas texas um i can't remember the exact dates i think it's like the 17th to the 20th or 21st um I was planning on going, but unfortunately, some circumstances came up, and I'm basically stuck in Maine, so... Mm. That is what it is. I'm not going, by the way. Oh, you be quiet. <laughs> oh, that's okay. Yeah. It's the end of the episode. You can... So, from all of us at the Dub Talk Podcast, uh, we would like to wish you guys an excellent evening. Yep. And otaku on de daba. Take care. Uh, the... Her... Sorry. No problem. My dog, my dog is playing right now. <laughs>